Hi, I'm Jay Abraham. By day, I grow businesses for a living. But today, we're going to talk about a lot of things, the meaning of life, uh, hopes, dreams, the human condition, and things that go bump in the night. And I think it'll be very, very intriguing and stimulating. Welcome to another delicious episode of Curiosity Bites, the most binge-worthy podcast on the internet. I'm curious, have you ever gotten to the place where you've considered that you might be the best of the best at what it is you do, and then asking, where do we go next? What is next? Well, if you'd like to join in the conversation about today's show or any of our past shows, you can go over to Curiosity Bites page on Facebook. My name is Dov Barron. I am your host, and you can find out more about me and how I advise and guide those who are at the top of their game to truly discover what's next. Come on over to DovBarron.com. That's D-O-V-B-A-R-O-N.com. Or you can email me, Dov at DovBarron.com. So let's get back to the question. I'm curious, have you ever considered... Is there life after success? <laughs> Most people's lives, uh, what they externally appear to be is not what they actually are in the quiet moments that they truly know what it is. See, part of my thesis is this. There's a secret calling within us, within all of us, a calling that sometimes most people can't, can't quite grasp or even name. Now, you may not have named it, but you know exactly what I mean. It's that secret calling, that whisper that whispers to you in the silence. It, 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 take a moment just right now and allow yourself to completely, unwaveringly, honestly, and ask yourself, what is the transformation that you secretly require? Now, dive deeper. What is the behavior that you would have to change in order to facilitate that transformation? Deeper still, what belief, what meaning must you become curious about, truly curious about, in order to shift and impact your legacy? What would give you the safety to step into the darkness, into the unknown, in order to become the hero of your own life? Now get curious about whether you're willing to have the courage to answer the one question that will change everything everything you hold about your identity so that you can live the life that you were born to live. The question that will challenge your very identity is this. What is the precious lie that you keep telling yourself that holds your false identity in place? What if you allowed yourself to become curious about your essential self, the truth of who you are beyond the precious lie? What if you took a pause and allowed yourself to ask yourself this, the same question that Timothy Oliphant asked in a movie called The Girl Next Door. Is the juice worth the squeeze? Because all too often, the price of success is everything else, including your soul. Well, that's the rabbit hole we're about to enter on this delicious episode of Curiosity Bites. So grab a beverage, find a cozy corner, because my guest today is the Jay Abraham. He has, he's been acknowledged as a unique and distinctive authority in the fields of preeminence, 
exponential business growth, risk reduction, and maximizing and multiplying business performance assets. He has been featured three times in Investor Business Daily, on the front page twice of the Leaders and Success section. Forbes magazine called him the real thing. He's listed, uh, they've listed Jay as one of the top five executive coaches in the U.S. Additionally, Jay Abraham has been featured in USA Today, the New York Times, Los Angeles Times, Success Magazine, Inc. Magazine, and way more publications. He's often referred to as a marketing genius. He's significantly, significantly increased the bottom line of over 10,000 clients with more than in more than a thousand industries and over 7,200 sub industries worldwide. As fascinating as all that is, we are here to get to know the man beneath the moniker. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together and help me welcome Mr. Abraham. I love listening to your uh, setup. That's, I mean, I'm still probably a couple of uh, minutes behind you because I'm still pondering the questions you ask. I'm really intrigued to see uh, how you take uh, the course of this, this discussion with me. So I'm here for you to ask away. Thank you, sir. Well, that's a, I, I, I'm really grateful for you being here. Thank you. I know you're in the middle of a bunch of launches and you got all kinds of things going on. And uh, so I appreciate you taking the time. And as we talked about previously, you know, you and I have been on the periphery of each other's lives for about 20 years. And we've got so many friends in common and so many things in common. And uh, it, it's pretty interesting that we have met before, but I'm really looking forward to getting to, into this with you. So where we like to start the show is with this single question. What do you find yourself presently most curious about? Because I know you're a curious guy. We've talked about that. But what do you find yourself right now most curious about? It, I'm obsessed with how other people see and define silently value. And I don't mean economic value, but no. I got very, very uh, interested about a year and a half ago in, uh, in just trying to understand all the different realities of everyone was having at the same time, because I realized, have, but it got more and more concrete. You and I are talking, any, any, anything we discuss, any concept, even any word you and I discuss, you're interpreting it based on your experiences, your, I am, people listening, watching are, and I find it really intriguing to try to understand the, the, the infinite spectrum of different realities that are going on. And that to me is fascinating. Also, I am very obsessed at this point in my life, probably because I'm older with uh, the fact that everybody has relevance irrespective of their stature, age, mm. Want to be very more, very much more, not just respectful, but engaging and appreciative of everyone. And, and it's probably a function of recognizing your mortality and, and where you are in your life, you know, in your life uh, uh, progression. But things like that are really of interest to me. Yeah, that's that's really cool. And one of the things that um, in my work, I'm, I'm we talk about subjective meaning. Okay. And what is subjective meaning? And, you know, that if you convey something, somebody's hearing 
but it's not necessarily what you're saying. They're hearing it through their own filters. And, 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 and my, this is one of my quotes from my work is value is values based. And what that means is if you, you know, on that shelf behind you, there's probably a bottle of wine worth a thousand bucks and you, and you happily paid that for that particular bottle of wine because you love wine. But if, if you offer that bottle of wine to somebody else for $1,000 who doesn't drink wine, what's it worth? It's not worth anything. So value is values-based. It's what, what I place value in makes something valuable or not. I have a really, it's, and it's interesting, and this goes, uh, not trying to stay in my, in my lane, but I just did two different uh, transactions, one successful, one abysmal. So <laughs> I have a very successful car dealer who's the number one in their category uh, in, in New York, the whole world. And they love me. And they just traded me a $200,000 NSX for help. I have another one that's the number one in all of Southern California. And I had uh, a huge in- impact on the guy and I tried to trade him and he doesn't see any relevance. So it's no. very one sees two hundred thousand dollars of relevance, the other nothing, and they're and, and so it's very fascinating. Also, and this is uh, uh, you're not asking, but I'm going to tell you. My wife thinks I'm uh, uh, morbid and and uh, dark because I read every Sunday. I read in about three or four papers the obituaries, but I don't do what most people think. I don't read the great ones, although they're interesting. I read what you would say is inconsequential because I think everybody has value and I'm fascinating to see the respect, the reverence a family has. A woman might've been active in her church or the scouts. And I'm very, uh, and, and I don't know that I was always this way. I think I always had context of understanding, but I didn't have empathic appreciation for the significance of every human life and that everybody has hopes, dreams, fears, and that you have to basically try to, to examine and, and explore and understand and appreciate and acknowledge every human being. Mm-hmm. And very important to me, more so probably, as I said, as I've gotten older, sure. because you reflect on times maybe you had more hubris or you were less uh, significant and you like you, you it, and I can give you examples or not but it's very important it's a very significant part of my my motives right now yeah it's it's an interesting thing that happens I mean it's certainly for me too um that you know we want to look at again is there life after success like what is it really all about and you've been you've been this you've been part of the economic engine of a lot of businesses and, and you've been part of, of that um, capitalism and, you know, as we all have, but you've been a major engine in all of that. And, you know, one of the things that I'm fascinated with is um, compassionate, conscious capitalism. And what that means in the everyday world is what you were just talking about, which is what I call dignity. Yes. Like understanding the dignity of human beings. So that, you know, the guy who's making, you know, 17 bucks an hour or seven bucks an hour, the lady making seven bucks an hour, whatever it is, you know, is deserving of every bit as much dignity as the person who made seven million in the last hour. 
agree. And, and, and the society we live in isn't set that way. We're set from the Ayn Rand cloth of, you know, it's all about me and my money, which is sets up for narcissism and a very dysfunctional society. I couldn't agree more. And I've had the, uh, the privilege of spending a lot of time around the world, and I did a lot in Asia. And it's very fascinating because here in the Western world, young people have a disdain almost for age, whereas the opposite has mm-hmm. as, as uh, significant now because there's you know, changes going on. But in Asia, even in, in the Latin countries, they revere their elders. They respect And uh, I, you know, I've been just very impacted. I think that was, to me at this point, not earlier in my life, you're, you're, the denominators of greatness in a human being are your humanity and your humility first and foremost. You know, your other stuff is below that, in my opinion. And I don't think a lot of people think that way. Yeah, I, 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 again, I think, you know, it's part of the, the philosophy. I mean, one of the things that drew me to, quote, America when I was a kid was this idea of the American dream. And, and I think that in many ways, the American dream has become a fantasy or a narcissistic fantasy. Um, I love the American dream. I love the idea that you can grow yourself and you can become something massive in the world and any person can become the president. I love that. I think it's fantastic. But since 1981, 1982, what's called the Great Economic Divide, which is the beginning of that, people, that gap of the the ultra wealthy and and the ultra poor has gotten much wider in the middle, which was the middle zone of the middle class is disappearing and people can't make that jump anymore. And in the process of that, if you hold on to the American dream, it's easy to feel like you're a loser. You have no dignity, you have no value. And so, you know, we've got mental health crisis that is going on because of that. And so it's very interesting to me that we've got so much self-esteem not self-worth but self-esteem embedded in our economics and we've forgotten about what's really of value is my heart and my soul and and you, you you're touching with me and how we can connect yeah i i don't think we have a good gauge of measuring psychic wealth and, and exactly i think that i mean as i've gotten older when i was younger i came from a very humble background and I wanted to achieve, to show the world, and to have things. Sure. Only kept thinking that those things would transform my happiness. So I'd get Ferraris, or I, you know, I've had times where girlfriends, all kinds of things, or I've had, you know, uh, trappings, or gone on a private jet, thinking that that would transform me. And I realized that I was always going to be there with me. And if I didn't really appreciate me as a human being and didn't really like me for who I was, not my mm-hmm. external world, I was miserable. And I mean, but, but it took me years to really get to that point. But you, I mean, you know, like we just talked about, you, you, you and I talked about that I get to work with people who are far wealthier than I am. They are, you know, billionaires and you know, very powerful people. And oftentimes, they're not particularly happy. Um, they, but they look great, they look happy, and they certainly would never share that with the world. And I'm not condemning them in any way, shape or form. 
but I think there is a, once you're at that place, it's very difficult to admit, I got all this and I'm miserable, or I got all this and like, what the hell's next? This is not it. Yes. Because you've been sold the bill of goods that this is it. When you get that, when you've got the Ferrari and you've got the $5,000 bottle of wine and you've got the Rolex and you bought a new house in a different country, then you're going to be really happy. And particularly, I think, if you start like you did and I did from very humble background, you go, oh, yeah, that's going to be it. Yeah. And I think also, Doug, I just, and this is just a, an insight that you can yeah. embrace or reject. I think some of these high achievers that keep going higher and higher, people are so impressed, but I think they're searching further and further for this, for nirvana, and they can't find it because they're looking for it externally. You're absolutely right. That's exactly what it is. Psychologically speaking, we can't find anything outside that we don't find inside. But again, we live in this Ayn Rand subjectivism reality that says all the answers are out there and so my autonomy my power my uh sense of self is external no it's not and you and unfortunately most people don't find that i i started writing a piece about tony shea um who you know most of us had great admiration for tony shea who started zappos and of course he died mm -hmm. you know and and i I started writing this article and I said, Tony Shea, uh, the death of Tony Shea is under investigation. It's not true. I made this up, right? I said, it's a false headline. Tony, the investigation into Tony Shea's death has uh, been reopened. And the prime suspect has been dead for more than 50 years. It's Anne Rand. And, and it's the philosophy of Anne Rand and this narcissistic belief system that's put forward that makes people become incredibly lonely. So here's Tony Shea paying people 1.5 times their annual salary to move to the caravan site, to the trailer site where he's living. So he's got a community. If you've got to pay people one and a half times their salary just to hang out with you, they ain't your friends, mate. And so here's the guy locked in a suburban home, you know, messing around with drugs to just get an experience of life that is delicious. No, it's and all the money in the world isn't doing that. And, and we, lose a, we lose a potentially genius in the world. Sad. Now, now I'm going to give you the counter because I've gotten this wonderful privilege of being all over the world. You probably have as well. And the one thing that I see, if you cut through and, and cut out the, the, the anomalies we're talking about, the super mm -hmm. high, every human being in every culture, whether it's politically free or constrained, they want a better life. They want their kids to have more opportunity. They want, Absolutely. It's all, I mean, we're all pretty much the same, no matter where we are on the socioeconomic scale, if you can strip all that out. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, when I work with, with businesses or business families, multi-generational families, um, I will say, you know, let's, you know, let's just look back at grandpa here who started the business, you know, you're in G3, third generation. And I said, why do you think grandpa started the business? And they go, well, no, I don't. And I said, well, it's very simple. He wanted a better life for you. That's it. He wanted a better life for you than he had. But it's become something else. It's become a beast of burden in oftentimes. What if you return to this idea that how can we level up the lives that we impact? Because your grandpa was looking to impact his direct family. 
But beyond that is your local community and the bigger family. And then there is maybe even potentially globally. So what if we return to that and the work that I do, it's like, that's where I'm always pulling people to is like, what is it your soul wants to deliver to the world that can have that level of impact? So I think you're absolutely right. Strip away the socioeconomics. Everybody wants to make it better for other people that they love. Yes. And the other thing around this that I want to say, and I want to hear what you have to think about this. Uh, I've done a lot of work around this in, in my psychological work with the clients I work with. And it's one of the ways that helps us all to have compassion. And, and it's this. It's understanding that every human being you look at, every human being you would judge, I would judge, not you, me, I, we, all of us, would judge, is simply trying to feel better. Agreed. If you look at that and you go, the drug addict in the street, simply trying to feel better. The guy buying another Ferrari, simply trying to feel better. There's no difference. Everybody's trying to feel better. And if we respond to that, rather than the judgment of, oh, you should have worked harder, or you, uh, you should be less narcissistic, let's just look at, you're trying to feel better. The question becomes, about what? And do you have the courage to address that rather than piling more stuff on top? Yeah, no, that's profound. Uh, I've had a lot of wonderful mentors above and beyond my intellectual and pay grade. And one of them transformed me a couple of years ago. He, he'd gone through, he was very prominent. He went through an embarrassment and it humbled him and it was cathartic. And he came back and he was sharing with me a newfound ideology and philosophy. And he said, Jay, my commitment now for the rest of my life is any time I interact with any human being for any reason, for any amount of time, short or long, my goal, my responsibility, my privilege, my obligation is to make them better off because I'm in their life. And I'll make one more point and then I'll zip you know that I've done enormous amount of work in this of preeminence. The key to preeminence for entrepreneurs, from my point of view, is not to fall in love with your industry, not to fall in love with being the most successful or the fastest growing or the dominant business in your industry, but to fall in love with the people whose lives, your product, service, or company impacts. And that shifts everything. But I think it takes we would call it an enlightened or an evolved soul to do that. But I think, I mean, as I go back to everyone has value, I find myself just, there, there's a correlation to smiling and the impact it makes to people, if it's authentic, not, you know, not feigned. There, there, there's, there's, uh, there's research on how to listen and acknowledge the other side. You heard what he or she said. That alone is profound. And, and there's ways to engage people where you help them really talk about themselves, but not in an arrogant way, but to open up and, and, and how, how liberating and, and uh, uplifting it is to them that they're relevant. There's all kinds of wonderful things that if people will spend the time and slow down to examine, explore, and experience that, it will transform, I think, the richness of their lives. I, I think you're absolutely right. And what, you know, I love what you're saying there because what I'm hearing from you again is that taking the time to actually be with somebody is actually stepping into giving them 
the dignity they deserve from you. They, they already have their own dignity, but they need dignity from you, the validation of their own dignity. And when you, you know, when you talk about listening to them and finding out about them, you know, again, it's all, it's all up, up there. Sorry. Curiosity, being yeah. deeply curious. Yeah, it's, I, and I'm not perfect. I, you know, I'm a flawed human being. Join the club. <laughs> heart and heart. When we're done with this session in an hour, I'm doing something that is very important to me. I did an experiment with a bunch of nouveau copywriters and I gave them a chance to write a piece of copy for me. And about, uh, I went to a hundred of them and 20 of them actually did it. And, and the copy is okay, but the, the gesture is profound. And rather than just saying, thank you, I scheduled three hours to spend with them to help them, not just on copy, but on psychology. And because I, I, I've never had in my life people that really took the time to encourage at a time where you were sort of by yourself and trying to figure out. And, and I think it's so important to really, and it's the concept of giving back, but most people don't understand the variance or, or the, the different uh, denominators of giving back to others and how one is just, you know, making them relevant, helping them. I mean, it, it, everyone wants to go from here to here, but if you take somebody from here to here, that's profound. Of course it is. Absolutely it is. And as you said, just taking the time to be willing to hear somebody, to hear what's really going on with them beyond... I mean, you and I are problem solvers. People come to us with a problem, but you and I both know the problem is not the problem. Like that one they delivered is not really the issue. And if we can listen the way you're talking about, the way that you, you've just put forward, you can actually hear what's really needed. So, I, you know, I want to be a great copywriter. I'm not a great copywriter yet. That's not the problem. But it's the one that's on the, on your top of your mind. So Jay will sit with you and he'll sit, sit and find out about you. And guess what? We'll get to what the problem is that's blocking you from being a great copywriter. Yeah, it's interesting. When I was, <clears throat> we can talk about it later or not. I did extensive and very, very successful seminars. And we were, you know, expensive for their time. Yep. But we'd run ads all over and the ads were predicated on, uh, on increase your sales, multiply your, your profits by orders of magnitude. And that's what drove them. But when we came in, once I got their trust, we talked about being preeminent, talked about empathy. We talked about what real value creation has looked like. We talked about the fact that it's not about you. It's all about your audience. And, and, and they got it. But had I, uh, because of the, of the mindset of the market, had I talked about that first, nobody would have ever come. So, so talk to us about that, Jay, because that's an important point. Because, of course, we do have a lot of business people who listen to us as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you and I both know that you got to sell some kind of sizzle in order to give them the steak. But oftentimes, even, even, even when you offer the steak, they don't want it. So talk to us. I mean, you must have experienced this. You, you and I have been doing this stuff a long time. Yeah. Um, and you've been working with the best of the best. So, 
you know, you talked about that room and getting them in with, you know, multiplying sales by orders of magnitude, et cetera. Very exciting. Jay Abraham's work with this person, that person, Tony Robbins has him on his stage, all those kinds of things. Oh, we got to go. Where are we going? We're going to a marketing seminar with Jay Abraham. And then you're getting to the stake. I'm wondering, do you find yourself confronted with, well, this is not what I thought it was going to be. I'll give you three things that, and, and this is out of reality. So uh, to, to acknowledge the significance of what I'm going to say, in 1991, we were selling fifteen dollars and $25,000 seminars, which were very expensive. Mm-hmm. So people were coming expecting something profound. And a lot of them came from environments like a Tony Robbins, rah, 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 music, and I was never of that. So the first thing I would do, and they're not, and their precedent, their mental model is everything they have experienced heretofore, right? Of course. And, and whether you like it or not, you are imputing on every experience you're going to have what you want it to be, not what it's going to be, what you yeah. want. And if it doesn't conform, to your mental model, you're pissed. So start it with that, okay? Yeah, exactly. What I would do because I had an understanding, I went through my life and figured out how I got to my reality and I wanted to compress that into five days. So the first thing I did, and this was hilarious, for five hours I made everybody in the audience stand up, tell everybody who they were, what they did, how they did it, and why they did it. And people were shocked. Then this is on day one for three and a half hours. I shared with them everything that had happened in my life that caused me to formulate the ideology, philosophy and methodology I was going to teach them. And, and all my partners, cause we had two and a half day risk reversal and, and we hadn't deposited any, we didn't deposit checks till the end. It was very, very daring. And they thought I was going to lose them. Then at every break when I introduced methodology that was very specific I would make everybody because we had them sitting at tables around each other share their biggest interpretation what the one thing they were going to do with it was vote on it get the the winning vote and then share it with the audience and people would confront me and say I didn't pay to have those people talk I paid for you and I said no you didn't you paid for me to transform your business and I had to really, it was very hard in the beginning because there were, there were dissonance, there were hecklers. Mm-hmm. I had to sometimes go into the audience, take my mic and my lavalier, ask someone to stand, clip it on them and say, if you know what I'm going to do or you know what's best, go finish it for me and, and polarize, not to be arrogant, but to galvanize the audience to stop them from thinking in terms of historic reference models and open up to new possibility. And I think that, but I always believed that my job wasn't to be loved. It was to produce a most amazing and significant outcome. And I always believed that my job and my obligation, very honestly, was not for the client company. I was serving the people they were trying to reach. And I was and actually, and that was always in the beginning, a little bit of a, of a, connectivity they would get really mad when i wasn't always there for them mm-hmm. i was thinking more all the time i would i would put myself into quiet places because i'm thinking always about the audience 
where they are, what their hopes, dreams, struggles, issues, uh, definitions are. And these, and, and, and people don't understand. It, it's not, I mean, most marketers don't really understand that. Most advertising, I don't think, too. It's not about the company. It's all, you're, you're an advocate of that audience. That's it. Do you think that that's, do you think that's changed? Do you think that the, that the marketing world has gotten a little more compassionate, empathetic, and understands that the, the customer is a little more sophisticated and recognizes pretty quickly, this is about your ego versus me? I think yes and no. I think okay. qualitative companies, yes. Info marketers, no. I think info marketers default towards buzzwords and bullets and and um, and um, unimaginably ludicrous promises and uh, impute that their one tactic is going to transform the future of your life. But I think real, what I'll call qualitative businesses, yes, out of both economic necessity and out of competitive uh, necessity and also out of uh, uh, a genuine probably transformation of people really trying to recognize, uh, you know, the mindset of their market. And there's more empathy, I think, in the midst of all the things we're talking about. I think empathy actually, and it's probably as sincerely I think it was bred more for, from, from a more crass need to make money, but I think there's a lot of genuine empathy. These, the people who are, uh, you know, conscious and, and, and uh, there's a lot of phraseologies used one. I think those people are genuinely motivated for a higher uh, purpose than just making money. But if you think about it, and then I'll stop talking. If you look at life in any form, whether it's business, whether it's human interaction, we are rewarded in our life, Dove, in direct proportion to the quantity, quality, and consistency of problems we solve for others and opportunities we make possible. And when you understand that, it circles back to what we're talking about, and I'll let you talk. Well, I, I, I think you're absolutely right. And I think that's part of the challenge, though, is, uh, and again, I want to go into this in the next part when we come to the next part, but, you know, this a lot of what we're doing here is uh, in our lives is, is problem solving. Um, but oftentimes I think that people, as we talked about a few minutes ago, people show up with the problem. That's not the problem. And we end up solving a problem. That's not the problem. So we, we, we deliver a, a solution that we can be very happy with because we did a good job, but it's not the solution they actually wanted. And so, I want to go into what you've discovered about that in the next part about getting to the root, you know, the root cause of the problem and how you you've confronted that uh, because you have a particular kind of genius that's allowed people to, to, you know, raise you up in what it is you've done. Um, and it's, and it's seeing things that others don't see. And I'm always fascinated by that in people. We're going to take a break here. Uh, we're going to see you on part two. We thank you for joining us on this particular episode of Curiosity Bites with my special guest, Jay Abraham. And till next time, which is in about one click. Stay curious, my friends. Stay curious. Stay curious.